time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 55 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day and kiss them, too. Don't forget, we brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? This is Donut Shop. Donut Shop? It's actually delicious. We need some donuts with it, though. Yeah. <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> They're not here. <laughs> They're not here. So are you ready to drink some coffee and talk? I am. Okay. How are you doing? Great. Working on Christmas stuff. Oh, my goodness. So much Christmas stuff. Mm-hmm. I have been so busy, and we are so busy with podcast stuff, which is excellent. It's a great problem to have, isn't it? But then you match, like, holidays and kids mm-hmm. and animals yeah. and everything else that goes along with it. And you're like, how many hours are in this day? Not enough. I think the month of December, we should have like 27, 28 hours in a day. As long as I can sleep for a, I was a large gonna say, it's still sleep. Right? Like it should just kind of roll into it. Yeah. For at least a month. It is super fun. And like if you don't decorate, then you regret it. Yeah. And it's super fun. But there's no denying by the time you get it all done, you don't have that long to enjoy it. I almost feel like you put it up and then you want to enjoy it for a few weeks afterwards mm-hmm. because it took you the few weeks in December to, to get, get it, it all, all the together. way you wanted. Yeah, yeah. And then everybody's like, well, are your Christmas decorations down? I'm like, I just took this stuff out, man. I right. do not want to pack <laughs> it all back up. One thing that we're both working on are chicken-themed Christmas trees. I know. We can't wait to put our pictures up. Now, you have an amazing topper for yours. Yes. I'm still trying to invent the topper for mine. I'm not even sure where that's going to go. I have to get it done soon. I know. There's so much stuff you could do. It'll probably involve some feathers, maybe. Or a wreath. That would be cool. Maybe. I'm not sure. I've got some... Chicken wire? Ba- <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I've got some vague inspiration rolling around in my brain. We'll see. There are so many creative ideas you could do to I, get I'm, the top chicken going. wire. I could do some. You got chicken wire, feathers, ribbon always. Oh, you know? ribbon, some sort of chicken tchotchke. Well, I mean, if you think about the fact that I am a ceramic artist and I'm also a wool artist, I mean, there should be some great Ooh, inspiration yeah, in there. Yeah, you could do a felt chicken for the top of the tree. In my spare time, I shall. In your 28th hour, that's what I a, think that you should much, have. Yeah. And then, have you been baking any? Oh, yeah. Cookies galore. We had that great episode with Christina mm-hmm. and all the cookie recipes. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of back to my tried and true peanut butter, though, because that's what everyone wants. I'm very happy with the holidays. I'm just a little tired. Hey, just want a little more time. I get it. Yeah. Hey, we should just extend them into January. I'm fine with that, too. And just leave it all up through the snow of January and then take it down. Yeah, I like that idea, really. Use the month of December to put it up and enjoy it in January. Perfect. Well, you have a fun tidbit to share. Oh, yeah. So if you go back to episode 31, we talked to Lisa Pregent, the livestock manager at George Washington's Mount Vernon Estate. Yeah. And we just love Lisa. Lisa has that wonderful Narragansett turkey, Roger Williams. Yeah. Well, Roger Williams has girlfriends now. Nice. Um, They're not on public view yet because they are still working on the poultry enclosures. So Roger and the ladies are living back in the non-public space. But if you go to Mount Vernon, you know who's also there right now? The camel. Aladdin the camel. (laughs) So you can go visit it. And George Washington did keep a camel at Mount Vernon and headed out around the holidays. That's nice. I want want to get back there because we are members there. Yeah. And and the holiday decorations are supposed to be lovely. I would love to do that and share them on Instagram for everybody. Maybe we can fit that in after Christmas. 
if we could just ask everybody a big favor. If you're listening to our show and loving it, if you could head over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review, it does amazing things for our show. It really does help us grow the podcast. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, you can head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership. You can also visit our Etsy shop where we have our long and short sleeve tees on offer. You can share the podcast on social media. You can subscribe so you never miss an episode. And the other thing you can do to help support the podcast is buy products from our sponsors. Yay! We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. You can get all the same great treats and feed with a fresh new look. Check out their new website. From now until the end of December, you can receive 20% off if you're a first-time buyer. We have a special discount code for our listeners, Coffee20, for 20% off your first purchase. Follow the link in our show notes. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot combine with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code COFFEE20. Try it today. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then, yeah. Let me take a minute to tell everybody about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with the chicken t-shirts. They are so cute and so soft. In the November box, I absolutely love the blank chicken note cards and the refillable treat feeder complete with suet treats. My favorites were those tea towels. They were so nice and thick with a nice chicken print. Hey, I'm going to use it for an oven pad. Perfect. Boxes start at $39 per month. They ship immediately after your purchase and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Okay, so now it's about that time for the Spring Spotlight. Yeah. I'm not sure how I can follow that. We have a really, really interesting heritage breed chicken that we're doing this week. It's one that probably neither one of us could ever see in our flocks, but it's worth the talk. Not easily, but they're fascinating chickens for a lot of reasons. So this week's spotlight is the melee. Yes. The melee is a truly ancient breed of chicken, meaning thousands of years old. And does look like a dinosaur. It really does. They're one of the tallest breeds of chicken. They often stand higher than two feet. Yeah. When you think about my Ricardo was around two feet, those are some seriously tall chickens. Oh, yeah. They did develop in Asia, perhaps India, where the closely related seal chickens are found, as well as Malaysia and Indonesia. And the melee is currently listed on the Livestock Conservancy's critically endangered list. Well, they tend to have a little bit of a reputation. They do. Mm -hmm. And they have a reputation of not being kind to other chickens or sometimes their handlers. So I think that's kind of what has gotten. It's possible. I've read different accounts. I've seen people saying that they are pugnacious, as often the word used, or that they're aggressive. And I've had other people say, no, they're perfectly friendly and curious, and they have had no problem. Every single chicken, as in every single person, is an individual. I also think that this is a breed where you can't keep them cooped up. They really need adequate space or they start picking at each other. There's another kind of bad thing that's part of this chicken breed is they use them for fighting chickens. Yes, they're a gamey breed and they have been used for chicken fighting. 
And that's more bad on the people. Oh, absolutely. It's not the chicken's fault at all. In the U.S., the primary function of the melee right now is as a show chicken. Right. I think they're fascinating birds for a lot of reasons. So the melee arrived in the U.K. around 1830. Mm -hmm. And it showed up in the U.S. about 10 to 12 years later. And according to the 19th century poultry historian, good old Edmund Dixon, many UK poultry enthusiasts saw the melee as this pure form of poultry. And at the same time, the naturalists saw the melee as sort of a missing link between jungle fowl and domesticated chickens. Well, they chickens. look like a jungle fowl. They do, somewhat. But the naturalists were overlooking the fact that the jungle fowl are rather bantam-sized. They are, but to me, they look like they belong. Well, it's doubtful that the melee could have developed. They're not this missing link no. between the jungle fowl and, and ancient chickens. But interestingly enough, there is a bantam version of the melee, which I was, crazy. I was unaware of that. The melee were shown at the very first British poultry exhibition in 1845. And in 1865, they were included in the Standard of Excellence, which was the first edition of the British Poultry Exhibition Standards. The first melees admitted into the American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection were the Black-Breasted Red, and that was in 1883. Okay. And they remained the sole recognized color all the way up until 1981, when the Spangled, the Black, the White, and the Red Pile were admitted. There are quite a few different colors. There are. And then later even still, 1996, there was a Wheaton melee admitted. Well, you can see where it happens. People began breeding them, this Mm -hmm. one to that one to this one, and then creating new colors. Exactly. And the longer they're around, the more colors you're going to get. They are very tall. They are. And long, long necks. Right. Those are some of the outstanding features of the breed. They also have long, bright yellow legs. Right. And that slender, gamey appearance. Their beaks and feathers are short and glossy, and they're quite close to the body. Yeah. So the melee has little to no fluff or down feathers. Just looking at the melee, you can probably tell they're not going to be a cold, hearty kind no, of chicken. not at all. There's no. not a lot of fluff or nope. fat on a chicken. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Fluff is a recognized term by the APA. To keep them warm in the right. winter. I can't really even see this chicken around our area. Looking at them, they need warmth. They definitely need some warmth. I would think they need protection. The thing is, we don't have a lot of reports of these as, say, someone trying to have them as a homestead chicken. They really are primarily a show chicken. Just to take to shows. Right. So the other outstanding features they have, they have this broad skull. Yeah. And the skull kind of projects over the eyes, and it gives them what they call a beetle-browed appearance. Right. It's sort of a glowering look. They have a small strawberry comb, and they have very small waddles, as well as a lot of red skin on their face. And then they have a dewlap under their chin. Yeah. So the overall picture is of a kind of angry and devious giant bird that wants to eat you. When you see a lot of chickens drawn, Mm -hmm. a lot of them draw basically the melee. Tall and proud and slightly pugnacious. Basically. Yeah. And you can see where the Rhode Island red comes from this chicken because look at the neck. That's the interesting thing. So the melee is the foundation breed for two of our extremely popular heritage breeds. Yeah. One is the Rhode Island red. And the other is my beloved Brahma. Yeah. And they're kind of easy to see in the Brahma. The Brahma has the dewlap. They have the small waddles, they have the beetle brows. But they have have the fluff that covers it all. Right. They also have that short, wide beak and the yellow legs. And even sometimes the expression of the melee. Brahmas are super sweet, but people will say they look grouchy. Yeah. It's just that they have that skull. Except, yeah, you're right. Tons of feathers. Now, the body shape and the neck, to me, I can see the Rhode Island right in that. Yes. Definitely Um, some of the head. Mm -hmm. If I look at Spicy out there, her neck is super long. Also, those bright yellow legs. Yeah. And she stands tall. Yes. But she has a very large floppy comb, so that's a little bit different. 
But you can see where it all comes from for sure. Yes. It's fascinating to me that there are such differing reports of them. But at the same time, the reports are from a relatively small group of people who aren't keeping them as pets generally. Right. That's where we're going with this. This is a chicken that is very well known, mm -hmm. very ancient, yeah. but has come across with some bad reputations, you know, over the years. Right. So they look giant, right? You look at them, they look really big because they're so tall, but they're not really that big. Hens are only about five pounds and roosters, believe it or not, are only like seven or eight pounds. Yeah. They I look mean, like they would be much, much bigger. There's a modern game breed that's similar to them as well. Again, one that's largely kept as a show chicken, but has that similar stature. It doesn't look the same as the melee in the head, though. The one that really has the distinctive melee look is the roo. Yes. He definitely is what you think of when you think of melee. Yeah, the hens, I mean, you, the you hens, see those things at the hens, but it's not as... They're shorter. Right. They don't stand as upright. Mm -hmm. Their legs are much shorter. Right. Their legs are right. much shorter. Mm -hmm. And... You kind of see more of the Brahma face in the hen than the roo. Yeah, I'll go for that. I think that's true. A couple little interesting things about them, but back to the weather and the cold hardiness. I read that hatching the melee should be timed carefully because they start to grow quickly. The chicks lose their down feathers quickly, and they often have bald patches as their adult feathers grow in. So you want to make sure they're in a warm area while they're going through their baby and adolescent molts. You don't want to have them in cold spring unless yeah. they're carefully kept in a heated Under area. Under a brooder light. Yeah. You and I keep that brooder going for months mm -hmm. for our babies and the lights on them. Oh, so yeah. if you have the brooder in the house or in a garage with the light on them, you probably could. But they don't have a lot of anything besides some muscle mass and some short feathers. Exactly. So they have to be warm. That's for sure. Your melee hen lays a medium to large brown egg. The first couple of years that she's laying, she's supposed to lay about 150 eggs, so like maybe two a week. That's my below average. Right. As she gets older, that even tapers off. So by three or four years of age, she may have fallen back to like I mean, 30 to 50 eggs a year. We look back, they're an ornamental show They were never bred for great laying right, right now. They will go broody, and they will successfully hatch chicks. But I heard they have trouble sitting on a lot of eggs. Yes, because, because they... They don't have a lot of surface area there. They don't have the fluff, exactly. Well, that and their chest are kind of narrow. Narrow, yeah. So they don't have a lot of space. It's weird. You would see a bantam broody mm -hmm. probably be able to hold more eggs under her it's possible. than a melee. So I did see that in 19th century England, back when they were kind of popular show birds, I read that occasionally they were used to hatch a turkey egg. One turkey egg? I think so. That's probably all they can fit. One turkey egg. Maybe two at, at the most. I mean, Maybe. turkey eggs are pretty big. The other thing anecdotally we saw was that if you do let your melee hens hatch chicks, keep the chicks away from the roos because apparently the roos can injure the chicks. I mean, they're huge, first of yeah, all. Yeah. And secondly, let's go back to this. They do have a little bit of a reputation. <laughs> well, right. Overall, the impression of the melee is that they are an active breed and they can get quarrelsome if they're border in close quarters. They definitely need adequate space. And the roosters are known for being quite territorial. They don't like other boys. Do you know what's weird around. To me with this is they're showbirds, right? Right. But they don't do well with space. And generally, when you think of showbirds, right. you don't think of a bird that's being free-ranged a lot. That's one of the fascinating things about them to me is that they're largely unimproved. Yeah. Not that they're static. I mean, they've developed colors and they've bred them for confirmation. But they are kind of 
Static. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they sort of are. My thing is, if you're going to have an ornamental show bird, usually to me, that's not like a bird that doesn't want to be that active. How are you keeping this bird down? This bird needs a lot of activity, mm-hmm. a big area. Yeah. To me, this is one of those birds that I'm going to go on the record and say, I can't see it being a great family bird. I can't see bird. it in your flock either. Well, no, not my flock, but I mean, like, in general with a family, like children, Yeah, I would be very careful. I'd be careful of any rooster anyway, but yes, one this size, definitely. Yeah. Just a little interesting thing about the roosters, their crow is unique. We were listening to that on the right. video So the other it's like day. a two-syllable crow. Instead of the cock-a-doodle-doo, it's like, this yeah. sort of roar. It's yeah. interesting. Look it up on YouTube. There are some videos where you can hear they them. They are a chicken that reminds me of the most like a dinosaur. They're seriously dinosaur-y. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could kind of just see them like walking around like boom, boom, boom. I mean, yes. Like scenes in Jurassic Park where you see the velociraptors like yeah. quarreling amongst themselves. That's what's in my head when I yeah. think of the melee ruse kind of going after each other. But there are people out there that are going to love to have these chickens. And I love that. If you want to give this chicken a chance. Sure. My only thing is small children around this chicken, I would just be extremely careful. Yeah, again, I would keep it. It's any a big rooster. chicken that could it's hurt. It's a big chicken. <laughs> I crossed my mind, like, what would it be if you have one of these chickens as an ambassador chicken? Clearly, if it's an ambassador chicken, it has to meet all of those criteria right. we've covered. But could they bond with a person? Could they be used I'm sure in they this could. capacity? Yeah. Everybody's different. And I'm sure there are chickens out there that will fall asleep in your arms that are melee. Absolutely. It's just the overall reputation of this chicken. It's they, hard to get over it sometimes. Is. I mean, and let's face it, they don't look like an armful of soft feathers that you want to cuddle. You know, they're big, strong looking chickens. So, where do you get the melee? You can check the Livestock Conservancy Breeders Directory. They're critically endangered. So we need people that are willing Willing to give this chicken a chance to give this chicken a chance. You can also check private breeders. And one way to do that, um, this would be a really good reason to join the American Poultry Association. Yeah. Because you get a yearbook when you join Mm -hmm. and it is loaded with breeders. Yeah. So that would be a good way to track down some of the melee if it's a breed that you are interested in. Yeah. I mean, if you like to show chickens, that would be one Mm -hmm. reason to get this chicken. If you have the space and you want to try a different type of chicken, this is the chicken to go with. They're not even really considered a dual purpose breed. There are some There's nothing on them. Right. (laughs) Actually, even back in Victorian England, they had a reputation for not tasting good. I'm sure because they're highly active and they're gamey. Gamey. They're very gamey. Yeah. Yeah. So the melee, once I do a bunch of research on a breed, they have a place in my heart generally. And I feel for them critically endangered. Yeah. And, you know, they're not great layers and they're not. I feel the same way. Like, I feel bad for them. I feel bad for them. But, like, if I were going to have a melee on my farm, I don't know how a hen would be if she were socialized with other hens. You don't think of the melee in the hen. Isn't that weird? When I think melee, I think of the classic rooster melee. Yeah. I don't think hen. I I don't know why. So it's possible you could socialize a hen and she could be part of your flock. Yeah. It's also possible that if you got males, you'd have to build like a giant compound with tons and tons of space for them. So that is the misunderstood but fascinating melee chicken. If you can help the melee chicken, we want to see all the birds out of the critically endangered list. I mean, there is something fascinating about the fact that this breed is so ancient and so unique. It's lasted so long. We don't want to be the generation that ends it. They really are interesting. They're worth a look just to learn about them. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. 
Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals Health Products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. It's about that time that we go across the pond and have coffee with Fiona. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Hey, Fiona, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. It's a good day today. Good. Good. Excellent. How are you guys? Busy. We're doing well, but busy. It's a holiday crunch right now. Well, you you haven't done all your shopping yet? No. I've probably done most of mine. I'm never done until I hand someone the gift. She's always adding a little extra. Her gifts are always a little extra. There's always a little extra. And that's nice, really. Hey, I am a little extra. I had <laughs> noticed. <laughs> Not noticed. But no, I, I have, have nothing like... to say to that. Nothing at all. You all know and love me. So, yes. But I do tend to not be done until I hand you the gift. Yeah, I yeah, know. It's true. And it's like just running around baking, cookies. All... That part's fun. We leave tomorrow on our big Christmas episode trip. So we're going to tell everybody now where we're going. Yeah, why not? Sure. Yes, please. We're going to Colonial Williamsburg. Because we know how to party. (laughs) Colonial Williamsburg. Even I know about Colonial Williamsburg over here in the UK. It's gorgeous. And they do it up so beautifully for the holidays. But do you know what they breed in Colonial Williamsburg? Nankins. (laughs) Oh, like little George. Yes. Yes. We're going to see the little chickens. And our special Christmas episode, which will be next week, is going to be all about a colonial Christmas. Yeah. So it's going to be so much fun. But I just want to hear little George just crowing one more time because he's so cute. He's so cute. Yeah, we can put some more video up with George crowing. So to have his own spot on the podcast as well, though, please. He should be at the very end. What, after Casper? Yeah. Maybe we should use George to introduce some of the segments. You can't take my spot. We'll have to figure this out. Maybe he can crow and then you can sing. I don't know. We'll work this out. We're going to go see more nankins, talk to the amazing livestock staff at Colonial Williamsburg. It's going to be fun. And we're taking the little chicken ladies with us, my two, Sophia and Ella. So it's going to be the four of us girls trip. It's going to be a fun time. I can't wait to see it on Instagram. Oh, we'll call you from there. (laughs) (laughs) I know you will. Fiona, I love it. Yeah, video call. (laughs) Isn't it cool, though, that we can do that? It is. We can video call you in the UK. I love it. But just remember that when you're ringing me at midday, I've got my glass of wine in the evening. So just bear that in mind. That's why we call you at that time. (laughs) That's why we call (laughs) you. Anyway, we're going to talk about substrate and muddy runs now, or how to prevent muddy runs. And what to do in the winter and all that snow and ice come because January and February, it's the worst months when it comes to winter and ice and melt and refreeze. And that's why we wanted to talk to Fiona about this and talk about what we all do so that we can give everybody some pointers. Right. And if anybody else out there has some pointers you want to send to us, please do. We're always looking for new ideas. That's for sure. Yeah. So what do you do, Fiona, when it's just a mucky, muddy mess in that run or in your yard? Well, until we had avian influenza restrictions and the housing restrictions, it wasn't a problem for us. And then all of a sudden, we've had to think about it because the chickens have gone from their giant field into smaller runs. 
So there's a few things that we do. Usually we actually make use of wood shavings. So, you know, the great big compressed bales that you can buy for horses. Yes. We buy those. We don't buy the bales that you can buy for chickens. The horse ones are cheaper. That's the first thing. Yes. And the second thing is that usually horses are on wood shavings, not on straw, because they're allergic to the dust. So they're highly dust extracted and they're treated and there's no mold spores, no issues at all. So they're cheap and they're hypoallergenic. They're amazing for chickens. That is actually what we both use for our coops. Yes. And it's a chicken board and buster too, because if you give them the entire compressed bale, let those chickens tear it to bits and spread it out for you. You don't even have to do any work. It's amazing. Yeah. They love it. They They love love it. it. They do. So that was one thing that we were talking about, Holly and I, the other day is in our runs, we use wood chips either from trees that have been cut down or purchase that aren't treated with anything. And we put those in there. Mm -hmm. Inside the coops, we use exactly what you're talking about, the pine shavings that are compressed. That is a good thing that you can do if you have excess of mud for a few days. Yeah. They're inexpensive. And I love your idea of just taking the whole thing and putting it out in the run and letting them spread it. I even do that with the wood chips, actually. I put two mounds out there and they just have the best time. So if you don't have too many mud problems in your runs here, the shavings are a really great way to go. We're actually using wood chips this year as well from trees that have been cut down. But we're only using hardwood chippings because one of the things that when I was doing all the research on what I could use when we had the muddy runs in the first place, Pine bark can hold a number of spores, which can cause some health issues for chickens. With so mold. we avoid getting any chippings or any bark that comes from softwood. Now, the softwood shavings, whole other bowl game, right. the stuff which you can buy for the horses, it's all been cheated, so all of that's gone away. But if you're buying it from a wood surgeon or your tree surgeon, always ask for hardwood if you can. That makes sense. If you just take the pine shavings and you just take the compressed bag, you open it up, you put it out there. The one thing with those, they enjoy them, they're boredom busters. They don't last as long. So they're not that costly, but you may be buying them more often if you're okay with that. Here, it's like $7 for the big bag of them. So it's not that costly to do. No, not at all. With the equine ones, you can get very, very large flakes, which last a long time. You can. So there That's are, amazing. There are multiple different sizes of shavings. You can get the fine ones, which are the ones that you would normally buy for the chickens. Right. But you can get flakes, which are roughly the size of your palm as well. That's perfect. There's one that we use in the UK, and it's actually called Equine Bed Max. And that's huh. what we use. And okay. It's the size of your palm. It's wonderful. I'm going to have to check that out. That's actually amazing because I have Gertie who is going to eat anything that she can stuff in her Oh gosh, her she mouldn't be able to eat these. There's no, no way so she eat one of those shavings. That would be amazing for her. I mean, right now she's not out there, but if I wanted to put her out there for a little while, that would be amazing. The pine shavings, like you're saying, they're very fine. That's the problem with them. Once you put them out, they're only going to last for a few days. Yeah. They break down very easily, which is actually good. You're not going to have them laying around, but it's pretty quick. So we know that pine shavings are fine. Pine bark can house spores that can be damaging. And the one exception is cedar. So you don't want to use any form of cedar. 
Occasionally I'll read somewhere where someone says pine shavings are not okay for bedding, but it is not the case. Pine is fine for bedding. They're excellent. Cedar is what you want to avoid. I don't even know why it's out there as a bedding option for any animal because it does seem to affect their respiratory, their kidneys, across the board on small animals. Mm -hmm. It's not a risk worth taking. So some people get drawn in because cedar does have the really good smell to it. And well, that's great if you're trying to keep moths away. It has antiseptic qualities as well people will tie that in think it's okay whereas it does cause these respiratory issues okay right the one to avoid if you can are the garden decorative box and the decorative things you'd buy as mulch for the garden they're not treated at all and they're a mix of all different types of stuff you don't actually know what woods are in there exactly so if you buy mulch if you buy wood chips we have a mountain of them now because we took down several hardwood trees but if you're buying wood chips or wood mulch, you have to make sure that it is hardwood. But so it's actually very hard to do if you're buying the garden mulch because okay. right. I have yet to see a garden mulch bark bag that says hardwood or softwood. They just don't say that. I mean, it may yeah. be different in the US, but in the UK, I've not seen that at all. I have found bags of hardwood. They cost a lot more. Yeah, but, they do. But you can find them here. Right. Yeah. yeah. The next substrate material, and this is something that neither you nor I use in our runs. I'm not sure how well it would work given the type of mud that we get here, but sand. Some people will put down sand substrate. And we were talking about that, you and I, Mm -hmm. about how it could be good just on top of snow or on top of ice. ice, To give the chickens some grip to walk. To give them some grip. I can see that. I mean, we we have sand baths for the chickens rather than chickens dust bath, but we actually have tractor tires with sand in it. So I can see how that would work, actually. Yeah. You have one that's covered and one that's uncovered. Is that right? Yes. They don't like the sand heated up in the height of summer, but in spring and autumn, they prefer the uncovered one. With the warm sand. Yeah. When it's freezing cold and it's wet, they want the one which is covered as well. So do you ever worry about fungus or anything like that? Do you ever worry about wet sand harboring any kind of fungus or bacteria? We've never had a problem. We've had these sand baths for around a decade now, and it's okay. never been an issue. I do take out feathers and feces. Mm-hmm. Chickens do what they do, and they <laughs> do what they do where they bathe too. So, right, yes. You know, I, I do oh, yeah. it out, and I do regularly put new sand in on top and top it up. But I also put a sprinkling of diatomaceous earth in as well and mix it in. Okay. It's obviously going to go after any organisms. And in a 10 yeah. years, it's worked. That's perfect. Yeah. You're going to get lots of people writing in and saying, no, Flooflade, you're wrong. Fiona, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, but you have 10 years of experience and the proof is there. Yeah. So yeah. The pudding, baby. That's right. <laughs> Let's change tracks a little bit of something that we want to warn against. And we've done this multiple times. <laughs> yeah. And it's because we have the experience, a bad experience with it, both of us. And that is strong. And it seems to be something that everyone goes to, including us last winter, Right when the run is mucky and it's a mess and you want to give your chickens someplace warmer to step. And it worked really well for that. It It worked fantastically for that. melting ice and snow. It really did. It gave them a warm place to stand and it helped keep them up out of the muck. I disagree because I put this in a video about coping with muddy runs and I agree it worked for a period of time and then 
it just soaks up all that moisture from the mud. Yeah, it does. And it becomes so much colder, really claggy and horrible. And it lasted probably about 10% of the time that everything else I put in lasted. So shavings last so much longer. Mm -hmm. So I stopped using the straw. Okay. So we have our number one concern is that you could have a chicken that's going to eat the straw. And we know what happens. It takes straw like a thousand years to break down completely. And when they eat too much, it goes in that crop. They can pass it and they can get very easily a crop infection. We have the experience (laughs) with these things. The second thing is it can hold some moisture and grow mold. And if they eat it, that's also an issue. Right. Mold as well as a crop blockage. Exactly. Yeah, it's awful stuff. And I've actually seen a few people use hay as well. Now, hay is even worse because that's so attractive to chickens to eat. Yes. As we know, hay is just dried grass. Yes. And that wraps around food in the crop. And if you want an impacted crop, that's the guaranteed way to get it. Yeah. And that's why we're trying to put some other options out there for people to try before they try the straw. If you don't have chickens that eat the straw, you might be okay with it and nothing will happen. Yeah. Our chickens don't eat the straw, but it was the effect of it just soaking up all of that moisture was horrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing which some friends of ours did, and I did put it in the Muddy Runs video, was actually to raise the level of the floor as well. And I know that sounds funny, but what they did was put pallets down. Yeah. Okay. That's a great idea. Pallets secondhand so cheaply yes and I know they've got gaps between the slats but you can put pieces of plywood over the top even pieces of astroturf and Mm -hmm. actually astroturf is great because that's warm on your chicken's feet yes and you can just hose it down when you need to clean it as well so you can just take it out and hose it down that's a great idea that is a fantastic idea I love that that's a really great idea. I really love that idea we have pallets all around that people are either giving away or you can get them from different stores and it gives them a place. Now here you can get pads that you can put down where they can stand on them. Have are you, you seen talking about like rubber stall mats? That heat up. You could put that on top of a pallet and give Actually, them. Actually a pallet with rubber stall mats would be amazing. The only downside of that is that their stall mats are freaking heavy. Like yeah. they weigh a ton. So it'd be hard to wash and clean. But I've also yeah. seen the church that heats up Little, I'd be standing on it. It'd be great. I would be too. I'd be sitting on that thing. I think I ended up paying like $60 <laughs> for this perch that I plugged in and put out so that if somebody wanted to warm their feet up, they would just sit on the perch. Well, I'll tell you. They didn't use it. Apropos of nothing, I have cozy coop heaters in with the Nankins. They're all on low and they're just so the Nankins can go warm up if they need to. You know, they'll perch on them. You could put warm those the perch on the top and then we'll warm their little feet. Yeah. During the day, you could put that on a pallet. You could. And they could stand up on there and the get it and warm up during the day if they the had to. The pallets and the astroturf are a really, really good idea. I love those ideas. Yeah. They're new to me. I have not thought about that, mm-hmm. but that's a well, great we, idea. We've got something else here in the UK, which are called range protectors. And we've got some of these. And we don't use them as mud protection. We actually use them to reseed patches in the field. Okay. They are basically plastic grids 
but they're in a grid format. So the chicken stands on top of them and the earth is a little, maybe two or three inches below the plastic pad. But grass can actually grow up through the grid pattern. So you can put the seed down. The chickens can't get to the sprouting seed. So you can easily reseed the field. But when you've got a muddy area in your run, that's actually what the range protectors were designed to be used for. We just decided to use them for something completely different. Okay. Now, could you use that when it's 32 degrees outside? We've actually been using them this year to go underneath our drinkers. And the chickens have gone to the drinkers, which have the pads, in preference to the drinkers, which are not on the pads, because it's warmer on their feet. They much prefer them. So I've started putting shelters on top of them because underneath the shelters, the grass would disappear anyway because it's dark in the shelters. So it was always just bare earth. And I've started putting the pads underneath the shelters. And I, honest to goodness, you've never seen so many chickens trying to get into the shelters that got these pads compared to the ones which are on bare earth. Oh, wow. It's another great idea. When you say they're a grid about how big are the openings, Well, there's two different formats. You can either have them rectangular grids and the rectangular ones are about a centimetre one way by two centimetres the other way. And that's the opening. So definitely small enough the chicken feet can't slip in there. Absolutely. They're actually designed for that purpose to keep chickens off muddy wet areas. Okay. And there is another version which was designed... I don't know why, but I think it was for dogs. And those okay. have got circular holes. There's a lot more plastic and smaller holes. And those are the ones I'm actually using in the shelters because there's a lot more plastic that the chickens sit on. And I don't need grass to grow through right. um, those holes. Great anyway. ideas. I'm not using it for reseeding. They're not cheap. They do cost a little bit of money. However, I think they're amazing. We have found so many uses for the ones that we've bought over the years. It's been brilliant. It sounds fantastic. Yeah. I think Holly's looking them up right now, actually. You said they're called range protectors? They're called range protectors. They're certainly available in the UK. And it's a company called Feather and Friends that sell them. And I know they sell them through Amazon in the UK. Okay. They are amazing. They do not sell to the U.S. For our U.K. listeners, I will link them amazing. in our show notes for our U.K. listeners. And I will spend some time researching to see if there is any similar version of something here that we can use. And if I find it, we'll mention it on our next episode and put it in the show notes. I mentioned stall mats. I think stall mats could be a really fantastic addition. But again, they're expensive and they're heavy as all get out. There are interlocking rubber tiles. Oh, Yes. They're pretty lightweight. They're certainly lightweight enough for a chicken and you can hose them off. I wonder if they're weatherproof though. That's a good question. When I used to have a booth at the farmer's market, we would use them to stand on because it was so cold just standing on asphalt. There are a number of garden companies now sell them actually for your garden as walkways where you lock them to create little walkways. And they're quite good too. That you can put down in a spot to yeah. give them a place to go right. that's not 
the hard frozen ground. Right. You can get them up out of the weather. Yes. If definitely. you have precipitation overnight, you can just put them, say, back down the next day. And they usually have some texture to some of stop them your chickens from slipping. Are almost like shingle kind of. Do you know what I'm talking about? The ones I'm talking about are not that texture. Yeah. Shingles really rough. I will find a source for the rubber tiles here in the U.S. and link that as well because I think they can be really helpful. Fiona coming to the table brings a lot of different perspective on this. So everyone's first thing is to go to straw and we want to discourage that. So giving some other options that we're all using. I love this, how we all are bringing something to the table that's a little different and it might work for somebody and then right. another thing might work for somebody else just to keep them more comfortable during January, February and beginning of March. Right. You know, you right. Go to the other extreme and actually have movable coops and movable runs as well. You could. You know, there's these That's wonderful true. lightweight runs now made of aluminium. You can just pick up and move to a new location when one area gets too muddy. That's yeah. true. Movability could be huge for people. Yeah. The other thing that we did not talk about is if you cover part of your run, you're going to stop rain and snow and everything from at least going down on that one side. That would be great to cover part of it right. and then put a pallet under that covered area for them to jump Actually, up. Actually, yeah. I mean, we just put up a standalone omelet run for our Nankin boys. And yeah. I know that a lot of the omelet runs, you can get the covers that go over top. Yeah. That do keep a lot of the weather out. For the winter. I mean, for the right, summer, right. the spring, and the fall, you want the you sun to come shade, through and you want shade. You're not worrying about the weight of ice or snow in the summer that you would be in the winter. That's why I don't throw something up there. And Worst case scenario, say you knew two days before you're going to get a major snowfall, take a tarp and throw it over top. Right. The only problem you have is you have to get that snow off the top. The other thing that we mention all the time in winterizing, which also helps, are the tarps around the sides of your enclosures. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a wind block and it does keep it a little warmer mm -hmm. here. It's not going to block once the snow gets in there and melts and then becomes ice and then you have refreeze and all this right. other stuff. But it can kind of help your run stay a little bit more enclosed for yeah. the winter. I have a friend who they range their chickens in their fenced yard a lot, but their run itself has smooth pebbles in it. I know it's pricey because those smooth pebbles aren't expensive. Do they have any problems with anybody eating those? No, they're like the size of a, a marble. Okay. I actually was looking at someone on Instagram tonight who had exactly the same arrangement. Okay. She was showing off the avian influenza housing restrictions that right. she put in place. But she's a professional breeder and all of her pens are on round pebbles. Don't get me wrong. It looks phenomenal. It does I mean, look really nice. I wish I could do that. But it must cost a fortune. And the reason they use the round pebbles are because drainage? it's gentle on feet. Yeah. It makes drainage better. If you get a buildup of chicken poop in your run, you just hose it off. My question, though, is yeah. how do you do that in the winter when it's so cold? Michelle, <laughs> if you're listening, tell us what you do with pebbles in the wintertime. Yes. They also have, on that section of their run, they have tin roofing. A tin yeah. roof. Something to cover the run, stop the snow and ice. And then you're just dealing with extra cold ground. And then you can even use a sand and a tire to give them a place that's right. up off the ground a little bit. So they're yeah. not sitting right there on the frozen ground. Yeah. There's a lot that you can do. It is harder in the winter, that's for sure. But then we think back to the summer when it was 100 degrees and we had all the fans going. Each season has its challenge. That's and for sure. Giving them a place to go that's not frozen in the winter, that's the challenge for sure. sure. 
But I mean, we talked about palettes to raise the the level. Of I love people, it. But for most people, if you look around where you are, there'll be something that you're not using that actually you wouldn't mind giving to the chickens. Garden right. chairs that don't hold your weight anymore. They can sit on those. They can perch on their backs. A child's sandpit turn it upside down so it's got that flat bottom they can use to sit on as well there's all sorts of things that will just be a little bit more comfortable than them being on the wet ground right i'm sorry that you have to think about it in the uk as a result of the the avian influenza lockdown but yeah you're you're wrestling with one of those problems that we have because we do have aerial predators yeah we're keeping the chicken safe Yes, it's a big inconvenience having to build structures for us because we don't have these enclosures as a matter of course. But if it's going to stop my chickens getting a really horrible disease, I'm going to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And anything that we can suggest or anybody out there has any ideas to keep these chickens a little bit warmer in the run area. Now, we're not talking about the coops right now. Right. We're talking about in the run Mm -hmm in your enclosures where they spend their day, shoot us a direct message with any suggestions you have. We would love to hear it. Fiona's come to the table with a lot of good suggestions. On she this. always does. She always does. I mean, if you think about it, there is almost 40 years of combined chicken experience right here. <laughs> That's a lot of years. Thanks. That's a lot of years. But Thanks. I'm only 29. We're, we're so. old birds is what you're trying to say, isn't it? What I'm trying to say <laughs> is that you learn a lot over the years. It takes some time. It's really easy. To learn. It, does, it takes time to learn. It takes time to try different things. It's really easy to say, I did this last winter and it worked. You should all take my suggestion. The reality is the three of us have been through probably more than we even want to mention. But you and learn in that the stuff which doesn't work as well. Yes. So, you know, as we yes, said, we, we have straw tonight. All of us have tried straw. Yes. All of us said really bad idea but we did yeah. try it anyway didn't we so yes we did yeah you have to try it we've learned our lesson the hard way well, Ali and i well i went back to it last year i hadn't used straw i think it had been 15 years before i had put straw down in one of my runs because i was always afraid straw is a very strong bass fiber it doesn't break down easily if you look right. up how long it takes it takes like over a thousand years for straw to break down i'm not surprised i mean wow. it's a very strong cellulose chain yeah so I thought, all right, I'm going to do chopped straw because maybe if it's in short pieces, it won't be so bad. And I was wrong. One <laughs> surgery later, straw is done forever. So mine is two surgeries later and eight months of crop issues <laughs> right? and a chicken who still is not back in a run almost a year later. And I am done with straw. We've had so many years of experience here. It takes time to live and learn still learning we're still learning i like having these conversations with you because i learn so much you tell me so many new things which we didn't know before same here likewise everyone's still learning and it takes a long time to go through these life experiences with them and say Mm -hmm. okay this is a no-go this is a yes i tried this holly and tried it once didn't like it she gave it the benefit of the doubt tried it a second time well and i'm also finding that things that worked on my farm do not work at our new place So we just try different things. I think where I am now, because we're so wooded, I don't think we sit quite as high as the farm, but we're so wooded that the turf itself is different. Probably from years of leaf loam breaking down, our new place gets muddy way quicker than the farm ever did. And mine gets muddy super quick. Mm -hmm. Both of my runs get muddy because all I have in there are the wood chips from trees that have come down. And it leaves a lot of dirt under there. It works great three seasons of the year. Right. 
So to find something to kind of patchwork it through the winter to give them is a good thing. So you yeah. know what, Fiona, I'm going to try those palettes this winter, which I have not tried before. I like that idea. Too, I really like that idea. You could even put a heated water bowl up on there. Which Absolutely. Keep it warmer off yeah. the ground too. I love that idea that you brought to us and it's a good one. Mm -hmm. Really good. Some combination. I love the range protectors, but I feel like some combination of pallets and rubber tiles or pallets and AstroTurf, something like that, probably because... But with the AstroTurf, it has to be the short... The short, yes. Obviously, longer lengths of AstroTurf. The chickens might try and eat the yes. longer lengths as well. And all of these things, that's what we're trying to prevent. <laughs> right. Them <laughs> eating what they're not supposed that's to eat. That's a big part of it. It is. Yeah. I like all these ideas. Again, if you have any other ideas, shoot them to us. We would love to hear them. So everyone's probably aware by now that there has been an avian influenza outbreak in the UK and that our UK friends are going into lockdown again. Again. So, Fiona, we just wanted to, if you can give us an update. Well, first of all, it's not lockdown anymore. It's flockdown. We flock have our down. own it special name. Down. Well, we've got to have some comedy to go with this because yeah. it'd be completely depressing otherwise. Because yes. it's not just one outbreak. It's multiple outbreaks. I'm signed up with the government website to get updates via text and email mm-hmm. when outbreaks happen. And... For a little while, it was one little text every few days. And, you know, you'd be able to have a look at the interactive map and work out where it was and see if it affected us. And then this last week, I got a text most days saying there's been multiple outbreaks. Check the map to see if it's anywhere near you. And you'd be thinking, oh, my goodness. Is it? Oh, my goodness. It's crazy. There's a lot this year. That's really too bad. Would you say it's more than last time that you went into lockdown that it's more outbreaks right now? It does certainly feel that there's more outbreaks this year in a much more concentrated time span. It's the lockdown restrictions have come into place much faster than last year. I think they're about uh, two and a half weeks earlier than the same time last year. So for some of us, it's not a shock, but I think for first time chicken keepers, it's it's a rude awakening. It is a big difference to the way we normally keep our chickens. You got ready this weekend. Why don't we tell everybody what you did to get ready? Well, a few weeks ago, they brought in some increased biosecurity measures, but we could still free range our birds. So there were things like we had to have foot washes at the entrances and and exits to our chicken areas. We had to make sure that anybody visiting the site, we kept a record of who they are. And if they had any contact with the poultry, we had to make sure that they washed their boots and we sprayed the tires to their cars. So it was really quite sensible things, which a lot of more commercial poultry areas would do anyway. But for the backyard chicken keeper, we probably wouldn't have thought about that on a on a regular basis because we sell chickens. It is something we do as a matter of course anyway. Right. right. But now this week, as of the 29th of November, we have to keep all of our chickens either indoors or in fully netted areas. It is a legal requirement that we could be inspected at any time. And because we're registered, we've got a high chance that we may be inspected. But We've had to build a very, very large enclosure because we free range. We don't have runs for our chickens right. as a matter of 
force. We don't have the aerial predators that you've got in the US. Right. So we don't need to keep them as a matter of course in roof structures. Mm-hmm. So we have actually built a 21 meter by three meter polytunnel frame and covered it with bird netting. The good news is because avian influenza comes to the fore in winter, we're down to our winter stocking levels, which is just a core breeding flock plus six chickens we keep for egg laying. That's it. That's all we've got. So mm. we've only got 16 chickens at the moment. Okay. Wow. They're in this 21 meter by three meter structure. So actually it's massive and they've got loads of things in there to keep them happy and mm-hmm. stop them being bored. Right. And if you want to see it, Fiona did put it up on Instagram where she has a video on the Floof Lady showing the enclosure that you built. And it's really amazing. It looks nice. And if you want to see the build, it's on YouTube too. On English Country Life. Well, I'll link to it in the show notes so you can get to it easily. Yeah. But the wonderful news was that we had very short notice period. So the UK government basically announced on the evening of the 24th of November that at one minute past midnight on the 29th of November, this came into effect. Legal requirement, bear in mind. And we had Storm Arwen hitting the UK shores at the same time. Wow. So we had snow, we had sub-zero temperatures, we had high winds, and we were trying to build this structure. And we weren't the only ones, but the majority of the UK poultry keepers are compliant. We are following the rules. So we all managed to do it in time. But yeah, Defra, can we have some more notice next year, <laughs> That's, wow. Yeah. My question is, in the years previous to this, is it about the same time every year? Is there a season for it? Is there a season for it? Yeah, very much so. Just like uh, human flus, it's actually a lot more virulent in the winter months. And with avian influenza, it's higher risk because we've got migratory waterfowl, which are the main carriers of the virus. So we've got them coming in from all over the place, particularly where we live. We're actually somewhere called the Wash, which is one of the biggest nature reserves in the UK for migratory waterfowl. So actually, we're at quite high risk where we live. But the interesting thing is we've only had one case on the Wash of avian influenza. And if you actually have a look at the interactive map, most cases appear to be inland, which blows Mm. my mind. Yeah, that's fascinating. That is, yeah, that is crazy. I thought so. Huh. Well, for U.S. chicken keepers who don't know much about the avian influenza, we will link to Fiona's English Country Life YouTube videos. We will also put a link to our previous episode yes. where Fiona took us all through avian influenza, what causes it, the particulars, etc. Yeah. And yeah, I hope you don't get it in the, the U.S. Too. because it really is a horrible disease. It kills poultry incredibly quickly. It is just not pleasant at all. It's terrible. And we hope that your lockdown is short-lived Yeah, that the chickens can come out soon and it's safe. I suspect it will last until the migratory water birds actually leave the UK shores. We've had it twice before and the restrictions have been lifted in April and May. So I suspect it's going to be April, May 2022. Are there any studies? Is there anything that indicates why the avian influenza has become so much more of a problem in the last couple of years? 
I actually don't know why it's become such a problem. I think there's a bigger fear now as well that it could jump species. But my understanding of it, having done some reading on it, is there is a greater risk of it actually going from poultry through to pigs to humans rather than poultry to humans. Okay. But, I mean, can you imagine what would happen if the UK government did nothing and then it did jump species? I mean, that would just be worst possible case scenario. Oh, yeah. It's mind-boggling. And it's really something we never would have conceived of until the COVID outbreak. Yeah. They're different. But I think COVID gave everyone a taste of what a true health emergency can look like. I think it's brought it more to the fore, but back in 2017, when we had the first flock down, we had two years with nothing, but 2017, we had the first one. And then 2018, 2019, we we were okay. There was a lot of fear at that time. There'd been a lot of talk about swine flu and then influenza came in. And I think there was a fear in the UK at that point of it jumping species. But the reality is, even if it doesn't jump species, what it does to our poultry, to our ducks, our geese and our chickens, it's horrible. It's not a good way for no. our lovely little chickens to go. If anyone in the UK is concerned, if they go to the DEFRA website, which is the Department for the Environment, Food and Agriculture, they can actually get links to photographs of chickens that are infected so they can know how to identify it should they suspect it in their flock because it's really important you know because once one of your birds has it it will go through your flock incredibly fast and it's 24 to 48 hours potentially before you lose the lot it's awful that's just heartbreaking our thoughts it are is. with all of you all of that yeah, we're, we're just praying for all of our uk friends and their poultry stay safe take the precautions Thank don't you. take them too lightly Do what you need to do. Cover the waters, cover the food, cover the birds so that they can be safe. I want to say thank you to Fiona again this month for coming and having some coffee with us at the table. We will have Fiona back again next month for a topic to be disclosed later. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Fiona. As always, you can see Fiona's videos on her YouTube channel, English Country Life, and I will have them linked in the show notes. Yes. Now we're going to move on to cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. Our recipe this week is... We're staying holiday. We are totally staying holiday. We're mid-December here. And you and I have made the decision, because we love it so much... That every year we're going to have a different bread pudding recipe. I love bread pudding. I don't know about anybody else. It's delicious. But I love it. So last year we did classic bread pudding with whiskey sauce. Yeah. Delicious. This year our variation is pecan brown sugar bread pudding with eggnog sauce. And it is so good. So we're kind of gearing it more towards the holidays here. Right. And it's not that far removed from a classic bread pudding recipe. So it's the custard. It's your eggs. It's your milk. It's your butter. Dark brown sugar Mm -hmm. for that nice taste. Cinnamon nutmeg. 
your bread and you're going to use a cup of chopped pecans. Right. The pecans and brown sugar have a delicious taste. Sometimes I go extra pecans. I do too. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't always measure. I, I, I just don't measure. Like, yeah. I like I them in, pecans there. in there. If you really want to concentrate the pecan taste, you toast can toast them. them a little bit in your oven. And so the eggnog sauce is easy and it's kind of a cheat. We just use regular old commercial eggnog, you know, that you buy in a carton. And you can make your own eggnog if you want to for this recipe. You can. Kate Richards over at Drinking mm-hmm. with Chickens, actually, we've made her eggnog before. It's here's, delicious. Here's my take on that. My take is that if I'm making homemade eggnog, You're drinking I'm it. drinking it. Yeah. I agree so, with you, but you can go either way. You can. You know? Absolutely. So we just purchased eggnog, and I found a dairy-free version mm-hmm. in our local Giant, actually. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to add a little bit of butter. Again, I use dairy-free butter. Some more of your brown sugar, some powdered sugar, spices if you want. Mm-hmm. Usually it's just like cinnamon, just nutmeg, all that stuff. You're essentially going to heat all that together. You're going to bring it to a boil, and you're good to go. And you pour it over. I maybe added a little rum to it, though. And yeah. it was delicious. Yeah. So if you want to spike it, you can. Yeah. This was one of those ones that smells absolutely amazing while it's baking. When I think of bread pudding, I think of holidays. Yeah. Because I always have it around Christmas time. And believe it or not, I always have it at Easter. Because Oh, I we, never thought of that. Easter is the one holiday that Joe says, let's go out for brunch instead of cooking. Because okay. generally, we have every holiday at our home. Yeah. And we host. You and do. we cook for everything. Mm-hmm. So Easter is my break holiday. That's nice. Where we get to go have brunch. Very nice. And they serve bread pudding there. Okay. So it's the best bread pudding. It's so good. But yeah, bread pudding to me means holidays. Me too. It always means Christmas to me or just cool weather. Yeah. But I see where in early spring that could be really good. Yeah. The eggnog sauce does not have any eggs in it like classic eggnog does. Right. But the bread pudding is going to use two eggs. Yeah. If you double the recipe, it's going to use four eggs. So that's where your eggs are going in. This is an easy one, I think. I mean, the hardest part of this recipe is just cubing all your bread. That's it. And that's not hard. That's not hard. No. We want to keep it simple during the holidays because we all need extra hours of the day during <laughs> right. the holidays. So we want to keep these things simple mm-hmm. and give us a treat for after we work so hard and party a little bit more. Bread pudding's good, man. Okay. So there you have it. Easy and delicious bread pudding. Yeah, make that bread pudding. Send us some pictures. Show us what you're doing. And as always, the recipe will be on our website, and I will have the gluten and dairy-free substitutions included. Sounds good. So let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Okay, so retail therapy, we are sticking with Christmas. Chicken ornaments. Chicken Christmas ornaments. Mm -hmm. Can you go wrong with this? No. No, you can't. Number one, it's all chickens. Yeah. And we each have a Christmas tree dedicated to chickens. To chickens, yes. So we had some fun scanning out new ornaments. Episode three of last year, we reviewed the chicken offerings from Old World Christmas. Oh, yeah. I love Old World Christmas. Oh, so do I, because I'm just crazy about glass ornaments. I don't think that'll ever stop. I love glass ornaments, too. I had to take a break from them when the kids were little. Yeah, absolutely. Because you don't want to get something that's, like, so dear to you. Oh, no, no. And then a three-year-old is exactly. aware of it, and she just says, ah, yeah. Or dogs. When the, when the dogs yeah. were younger, we wouldn't put them low. Yeah. But I love glass ornaments, mm-hmm. and I love chickens, so. Well, Old World Christmas has a really cute ornament out this year. It is an egg carton with eggs in it. It's a glass. Oh, yeah. Does an egg ornament. Oh, yeah. It's so, so cute. cute. Mm-hmm. You can just Google chicken tree ornaments. Mm-hmm. There's so many. There are tons of them. 
and make a chicken trick. It's amazing. It's a lot of fun. Even old if world, just do a small one. And Old World Christmas Ornaments has the one with the chicken and the coop. Yeah, that was one of our favorites last year. The other place that you can go if you're interested in chicken ornaments is Tractor Supply. Yeah, they have a lot. They have a lot they of cute They don't have the glass stuff. ones, but they have some super cute ones. They have some resin ones. They have metal ones. We each nabbed a few in there this year. Oh, yes, we <laughs> did. The other thing is Etsy. So we have three favorite ornaments from Etsy. Yes. And again, all of these, as always, are linked in the show notes. So the first one is from a seller, Ricci, R-E-E-C-I-I, mm-hmm. and it is absolutely gorgeous. It's a handmade quilled paper rooster ornament. It's beautiful. It's really pretty. It's really unique. It's colorful. Mm-hmm. I love everything about it, and it's $15. That is not bad to spend on an ornament that you're going to have for a lifetime. No, no, not and at all. And that's handmade. It's handmade. Let's look at Etsy, because Etsy is mostly all handmade. Mostly artisans on Etsy. Quilling is not something that you can really reproduce no. without doing it by hand. If you've never tried quilling, it's like twirling tiny pieces of paper into designs. Oh, yeah. So this one's gorgeous. One of our favorites. The next ornament is sold by a shop called Ornaments for Orphans. They sell gorgeous hand-carved wooden rooster ornaments. Now, these are beautiful, mm-hmm. again, colorful, hand-carved. They're nineteen ninety nine. If you have chickens, you probably have a friend who has chickens. Right. This is a great little Christmas gift for the chicken lady. Yes. Oh, what a nice tradition. Every year. Give each other a different ornament every year. We should Mm -hmm. start that. Yeah. You know, this year for my birthday, I opened up the gifts from Joe and the kids. And Sophia was so excited during our trip to Mount Vernon. I think we went in October on a Saturday or something. Uh They snuck into the store and got me a chicken ornament. Is it the wooden one? Yes. I'm glad because I didn't get you one of them and I regretted it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I have it too. Yeah. I love it. I, I love opened it, it up and then Joe kept saying, that's from Mount Vernon. I'm like, I know. It's a Dominique. Yeah. They also have hand-carved Hog Island sheep. Yeah. So I have procured both of them, but I was kicking myself for not getting you <laughs> the chicken. So, well, okay. Sophia found it when they went over there. Uh-huh. I was looking on the other side and yeah. she got it for me. I love the Christmas shop in Mount Vernon. It's up all year long. Oh, yeah. So Etsy has loads of handmade chicken ornaments. Here's the problem with Etsy. For the past month, and we've prepared for this episode, yeah. I've made lists of ornaments, yeah, and then they've sold out. We have been looking at ornaments on there forever, and then they sell out. Over and over and over, and I'll go back and check them, and they'll be sold out. There were gorgeous handmade felt ornaments. Yes. There were cloth that were uh, embroidered. Just so pretty. This one I'm finding everywhere is the chicken with the lights wrapped around it with the Santa hat. I think that's made of resin. Some of them were made of wood. Okay. But they are cute. They are. They have little Santa hats on. They're so cute. They're really cute. We have one more Etsy ornament. Yes. It is Miss Amanda's Creations. I love these. Mm -hmm. These are felt hens and roosters. Right. They are embroidered with flowers, brightly colored thread. They're so beautiful and really reasonable. The small size is $7. The large size is $8. You can't beat it. You can't beat it. And let's not let this go. You can even go on Amazon and get some. Absolutely, yeah. Old World Christmas, they if have you don't want to go to their website, you can go, if say you want to get Prime Delivery from yeah. Amazon. They have a whole shop on Amazon. They do. Mm-hmm. So these are easy to get, and they're great gifts, and they're a great Christmas gift to yourself. I may have gotten a couple <laughs> new ornaments this year. It might have happened. Yeah. You can't go wrong with it. No, it's fun. And some of them are pricey, sure. But there are others that are not a big financial commitment. 
And, you know, like we were saying, you could just add one or two to your tree every year. Here's the thing. These ornaments, a lot of them you could leave out. Yes, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. Mm -hmm. They're chickens. Right. And you could kind of leave out or put into a hutch or a curio and just kind of have them there as little standalones, especially the glass ones. Some people do Easter trees, and a lot of the chickens are very appropriate for that. That would be so cute Mm -hmm. with eggs and chickens in the springtime. Yep. Or chicks. I may have gotten a chick ornament at Tractor Supply. I may have seen that, and that may be really cute. It was so cute. Yeah, it is. It's one of those feel-good things that they make you happy to look at. Yeah. That's why I'm all about leaving the tree up a little longer. Sometimes it's those little things. Just, you know, you sit down, you look at your tree, your lights, you sip some eggnog and eat some bread pudding. You're good to go. Yeah. If you have some really cool Christmas ornaments, send us pictures. Tag us on Instagram. Yeah. We'll give you a story. Absolutely. We would love to see them. We'd love to see them. (laughs) So should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Well, we hinted about this with Fiona. Yeah. Next week is our Christmas episode. The Christmas time is here again. We are spotlighting a super special breed of chicken next week. Yes, we are. And it is the Nankin. (laughs) It's super special to Holly Super Ann. special. Oh, admit it. You love them, too. <laughs> we are talking all things Colonial Christmas. Yes. We are visiting Colonial Williamsburg and a couple of other local historical sites. We will be talking about chickens at Christmas time in Colonial America. Yes. Our recipe is, we're reinventing a recipe that you would have found in Colonial America. Oh, yes, we are. It is known as a fool. Mm-hmm. And we have adapted the classic fool recipe, and we're making clementine fools. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Our retail therapy is Christmas shopping at the gift shops in Colonial Williamsburg. You can't go wrong with We're going to tell you all the, Williamsburg? all the chicken stuff we find there. And we're going to have all of our pictures and videos and everything that we take. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get us some figgy pudding. Yeah. We could have figgy pudding, couldn't we? Yes. Bring it out. What should we tell everybody to do? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.